Uh, Y'all, we are thankful to have this chance to worship with everyone this morning. Um, I would love to say that it was so intense first service that I just broke out into a deep sweat. That's why I'm wet right here, but it was from baptisms and it was awesome. But if not, if you're nervous, like everybody's going to yell and scream today, just pretend. We'll just pretend there. Y'all, wonderful Sunday so far. Uh, We had three baptisms first service, uh, Barry from Scoops Ice Cream. Anybody ever been to Scoops Ice Cream in Madison? Uh, Barry got uh, married yesterday, and one of his acts as a married husband is uh, supposed to be baptized today. So just a sweet, sweet time. Just awesome. Uh, I wanted to be able to share that with a couple of friends and family members of his that are from Florida, and uh, just a great time and to celebrate with that. Um, also, man, I just wanted to share, I asked him if it'd be okay, I was asking him a minute ago, y'all, the Nico family is here today, and like they are just about every week, um, but today, um, they have their two, after two weeks of being in their house, their foster daughter, Miss Callie, who's sitting on the front row, right over here, so there she is, y'all, let's just give a nice gentle, don't get, nice gentle, yeah, golf clap, golf clap, well, that's perfect, let's just go home, you know, like, that would be enough, like, that's the whole service, right? Let's look at that when we think, all right, we're talking about Christmas, Jesus being born a baby, the most powerful being in all the universe was born in the flesh, like baby Callie, so good. Thank y'all for your faithfulness and your willingness to do this, y'all. Family and friends in this place, if you're looking for a family, we have two families here that you just want to bless and just say, man, we're thankful for you opening up your home. Um, we, have, we have the Biggers family, you know, the Nico family, and a few more that are in the works. Just a good time, y'all, watching folks open their homes together. Um, I got this text message. Just be a, we'll just share all kinds of things this morning. I got a text message a little while ago <clears throat> from one of the moms that was blessed by our angel tree out here that was there a couple weeks ago. And um, Miss Kim said, Ben, if it was okay, I could share this one. So it's just a sweet word from a mom in our community. I just want to take a second to say thank you again. I have been overwhelmed by the graciousness of everyone involved in helping our family. This is definitely hard for me. I've never been in this position. I never expected to be a single mom of five at 37. And I've never, been, I've never asked anybody for help before. I was truly stressing about Christmas, literally paycheck to paycheck. I just want to give thanks for allowing me to have an amazing Christmas for them. Um, please know that you and everyone involved are very appreciated. And please pass this along to anyone that you can that has helped our family. Thank you for me. Thank you for my babies. Merry Christmas. That's some good stuff, y'all. So just a sweet, sweet time. We're continuing our conversation today on Advent and what it means today to come home for Christmas, to be the top people who trust in the love of God and rest in that as we try to share the love of God with the world around us. Um, This is a true story. Two guys on the way out of church last service said, when are you going to tell us a lie story? I was like, I can make up some lie stories, but I promise, I promise this is a true one. My first church was in uh, Woodland Hills Baptist Church. Uh, It was in in Grant Park, about a mile from the Atlanta Zoo. Very eclectic, very cool hipster area, naturally my demographic. So (laughs) anyway, a nerdy guy in khaki. But so um, while we were there, I became friends. I've always been a talker. I would hope that most people would not think like, man, Dan's a good preacher, but he hates people. That would be sad, you know? So I do love people, and I love being with people and being in people's homes. Um, a very good friend from that church, his name is Kermit Sumner, um, was a 93-year-old World War II veteran, and I became really good friends with him 
um, over the year and a half, a year or so that we were there. Um, and I'd go, I'd go by his house, um, just a little, I don't know, 1,200 square foot brick house in Woodland Park, in Grant Park. And we'd hang out after church, and during the week, I'd finish up a little early, and he'd just tell me cool stories. I mean, from World War II, just some wild stuff. And he was a prison guard at the Atlanta Penitentiary for years, so he had just, he had met some interesting people in his life. Um, and I promise, this is a true story. Um, one day, I was in the church office getting ready to leave. I was 22 years old. The secretary came in, and she said, hey, Mr. Sumner's on the phone. He wants to talk to you. So I took the call, and I said, hey, Mr. Sumner, we called up for a little bit. And he said, hey, Dan, on your way home today, would you mind stopping by my house? I was like, well, Mr. Sumner, I got class this afternoon. It's kind of busy. I can try. And he said, no, I really need you to come by my house. He said, I really believe I'm going to go home tonight. I said, Mr. Sumner, I thought you were home. He said, no. I think the Lord's going to call me home tonight. So I said, man, I got better things to do than that. Of course. I was like, yeah, let's go. So I was like, man, I left work early and went down to his house. And man, we hung out and he played his instruments. He had this cool violin fiddle thing he would do and told me a few more World War II stories. And I asked him, I was like, Mr. Sumner, that's kind of a crazy thing to say. Like, you really think the Lord's going to call you home tonight? And I was 22. He was 92 or 93. He said, just something in my heart, Danny. I just really believe that it could be today. I was like, all right. So we joked around for a little bit, and I was like, all right, well, give me a sign to let me know you made it. You know, like if you get up there, I mean, it's cheesy. That's not how the Lord works. And he even said, Dan, you know, that's not how the Lord works. I was like, I know, I know. But I asked him as a 22-year-old man who was getting ready to propose um, or just proposed to his girlfriend, and that's now my wife, hadn't even started a family or gotten married or anything yet. I said, Mr. Sumner, if you could give one piece of advice to a 22-year-old guy, kid, that was trying to do this thing in the church as a pastor, about to be a husband, one day might be a father, what would you say as a 93-year-old man of faith? And without even thinking about it, he spoke and he said, Danny, always love your Lord, always love your God, and always love your people. Just love God and love people. And those were the last words he ever spoke to me. It was cool. We prayed. I left his house. True story. The next day, I got a phone call, and Mr. Sumner had passed away during the night. One of the first funerals I ever got a chance to do was his graveside service in Decatur. And after the service, his daughter, who was like 78 years old, came up to me, and she said... Uh, Years pastor. She's actually called me his youth pastor because we joke because I was a youth pastor. I was like, yeah, I was your dad's youth pastor. He was a troublemaker, you know. And I was like, um, I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I just want you to know. And she said some sweet things. She said, I just want you to know. I call my dad every morning just over breakfast just to check in with him. In the morning, he passed away. He didn't pick up. So I called a few more times and I knew I had to drive down. And when I got to his house, I unlocked the door, walked to his bedroom she said he had gotten out of bed the night before and had opened his Bible and was on his knees. And she said it looked as if his hands were just folded and he fell asleep on the word. Y'all, that's good stuff. That may be how he went to heaven in that moment. So I took that as my sign, even though he didn't believe in signs like that. Love God and love people. We are called as followers of Jesus Christ to receive the love of God in our lives and to share that love with one another. We are gonna talk about this for a little bit today. We know that some people are difficult to love, amen? 
we would love to say as Christians that we just want to be around everybody all the time, especially at holidays, all these family members. We just love them all. I wish y'all could live here forever, right? We know that's just not true. We're going to look at what it means to be people of faith, people of the book, that love as God loves, receive his love, and then share it with other people. If you're currently in a time or a season where you're having a difficult time loving other people, I would encourage you, we're going to unpack this some today, to spend more time dwelling on the fact that God loves you and remembering what he has said to you. We have to receive the love of God before we can share the love of God. You will burn yourself out trying to love everybody with the love of the Lord if you're not consistently reminding of yourself of the love the Lord has for you. Remember a few passages of scripture like 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Some people may hear that and may have tried to justify. That's why they might hate on somebody one day, but then like give some cups of cool water the next day. You know, might have a terrible Thursday, just bitter and angry and angry and go to church on Sunday and kind of balance it out. Like, well, I'll love some people sometime and, and I'll hate some people. I have some sin in my life sometime. It's like, you have to try to balance it out, like trying to balance the scales. That's not what this passage is about. And that's as far away from the gospel as, possi- as possible. Like, what this verse here is about is that we know that the love of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord, covers all sins. And because of that, we can allow that to transform our minds and our hearts and our actions so that we then can allow the love of God to help us work through, move past, and trust the Lord even with the sins of others. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus was a fan of this. He also uses himself as the example as to how we are to define our love towards other people. Why? People mess stuff up, don't they? Some of us are still working through some very deep wounds because of promised love commitment or promised relationship or promised kind of thing that someone else has had in your life that was broken. And yet here we are still trying to trust the Lord together. That's why Jesus doesn't say, love one another as your mama loved you. He doesn't say, love one another as your Sunday school teacher loved you. He doesn't say, love one another as Danny loved you. He says, love one another as I have loved you. He puts himself as the standard because he knew that we would break the standard. Can you imagine what guys from the New Testament maybe have said to one another when they first saw each other in heaven? Like some of the guys, it was probably a celebration. James and John, the brothers, like, man, this is crazy. We're back. Andrew and Simon Peter, yeah, we're fishing for men now. You know, just good stuff. But can you imagine what other followers of Jesus said to each other? Like Paul and Stephen, who he had murdered. You think in some moments in heaven, like people like Stephen, like, can you give me a minute? Like, I'm gonna need a little bit of time to rest in the goodness of God before we start embracing. I don't know, but I do know that they were both loved by God called to love other people. How is this possible? How can we have the warm, fuzzy feelings toward everyone all the time? Especially those who have hurt us or those we just don't like. And I know some people think church folks are supposed to like everyone. 
called to love like Jesus loves. But y'all, can we be honest? There are going to be some times you're going to have somebody in your life and you're going, I would rather not be this close right here. Now, if it's your kid or your spouse, we got to work through that. But if it's anybody else, we give grace to say, let's leave some space. Which is why we as followers of Christ must remember biblical love is not like our English word for love. Biblical love from God is found in things like agape love that are defined by him. Agape love focuses on the will of the man or the woman, the will of God, not a feeling. Jesus knew that we would have a difficult time commanding our feelings to be warm when they are cold or positive when they are negative. But we can exercise our will to act in another person's best interest no matter what happens to us or how we even feel about that person. Anybody ever seen a Hallmark movie? You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. We're in a safe space. What happens if you haven't seen a Hallmark movie? I'm about to ruin the plot of most Hallmark movies. In just about every Hallmark movie, what happens, right? You got some young lady or some young man, usually a young lady, up in New York City making bukus of money on the 98th floor of some fancy building with a boyfriend or fiance that's making $18 million a year. And she goes to her hometown to visit her family for Christmas for three or four days. And her parents say to her, oh, you should go get us a tree from the tree lot. And she goes to the tree lot and she runs into an old high school fling and all the warm fuzzies start coming back. And what does she do, right? She breaks up with the multimillionaire boyfriend in New York City and she moves home and they live happily ever after even though they're gonna be utterly poor and they have no plan, right? But that's probably the problem. That's why there's never a sequel to any Hallmark movie, right? Because like, let's just rest in the fireplace with the, with the snowman outside and the Christmas tree. Absolutely crazy. I hope that we can always laugh at it. It's just good, clean fun that we can watch. But if we are honest with ourselves, we must acknowledge that many of us have bought into the deception of our culture that has convinced us that love is defined on how we feel. That love has nothing to do with will. Love has nothing to do with choice and determination. Love is all about the warm and fuzzies. As long as you feel good. As long as I feel happy. This is a dangerous one. Hear me. Write this down. As long as I feel in love. You know what happens when a culture buys into that lie? Cultures collapse. I'm not a prophet, but I think we're seeing a lot of that in our culture right now. Multiple, not just the kids, y'all. Multiple generations who have bought into this idea that as long as I feel good, I can feel good and be in a relationship with you. Once I feel this. Our feelings can change. Anybody have kids? Let's have an honest conversation with one another. I have three of them, right? There are some days, if you have children, or you've been around someone that has children, Children, this is the truth from your parents, probably. I, this is my kids, if you're in here, God bless. Like, we'll figure it out. So there are some times, you know, when the kids come up to you and you're like, man, this is a Kodak moment. Like, let's just get the camera. Everybody's getting along. I am so proud of you. Like, refrigerator moments. You know, like, let's just capture this and put it on the fridge. Can we just be honest with one another that there are some times that our children come to us and our first thought is, Why? 
are you the way that you are, you know? <laughs> and sometimes we do some deep personal reflection. What do we find? They're just like us. And you're like, no, that's the problem, right? Like, why is this happening? There are some days that my kids come to me and crush it, man. I got a girl that's going to the Science Olympiad. Let's go. Like, I don't even know what that is, but I'm all in. And we're going to have posters. And we're going to be rooting her on. I'm so, I'm serious. Like beyond proud as a father. My boy's like learning the trumpet. Like first, I'm loving this stuff. There are some days when we see our kids come to us, right? And we're like, yes, you are my child. And I want to share every Instagram post possible. But there are other days, families, right? The kids do something and we might want to say, usually it's the dad that says a little at first, like, well, if you hadn't done what I told you not to do 48 times, your knee wouldn't be bleeding right now. Like, what are we doing? Why? Because sometimes kids do things they shouldn't do. Church, God calls us his children. There are some moments in our lives where I truly believe if the Lord had a giant refrigerator in heaven, our face would be on it and be like, look at my little baby doing everything right down there. On the worst days of our life, it does not negate the fact, the will, the promise of God that we are still his kids. It's not based on us. It's not based on what we do, on what we think, or how we act. It's based on him, which is why it is vital for the church and for Christians to remember that love from God has nothing to do with feelings. It has to do with a promise that has been fulfilled over and over and over again by him. We read in verses like 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, anyone who does not love, this is harsh, John was getting at, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, if we read that from a cultural perspective and we think, man, have you been around my coworker? Have you been in traffic in Atlanta? Have you been around some of my patients? Have you been around my crazy uncle? I can't love, no, what are we talking about? Not our cultural standard of love, agape love, promised love, definitive act of will kind of love. Anyone who doesn't love does not know God because God is love, Period. Church, love is not found in a feeling. It is found in God. True, eternal, biblical, never-ending love is not found in a feeling. It is found in God. God is, is love. It's not something he does. It's not something he talks about. It's not something he just shares or creates. The scripture says he is love. Many of us have had others who have promised to love us break that promise, which again is why God doesn't tell us to love like anyone else. He calls us to love like him. He knew that Jesus would say things and did say things like he did in Matthew 5, 48, when Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He doesn't say be perfect like anyone else. It's be perfect like God is perfect. Love like God loves. Why? Because God is love. Now, this phrase is not a phrase that's going to cause much dissension with anyone, including non-believers or atheists or an uncle that just wants to, I don't want to compete with an uncle, or an aunt that keeps arguing about what it means to be a Christian. Most people that I know, including the non-believers, including people from other faith, they're all about the three words, yeah, God is love. You're never going to offend many 
except for a couple who are really outliers, by just saying to them, hey, God loves you. God loves you. And that's it. Super Bowls on posters, right? People are celebrating that fact. And it's true. God is love and he does love us. But what has happened in many areas of our culture, some of our families, maybe even with some of us, is we've again bought into another lie. That because God loves us, he can't disagree with us on anything. Because God loves us, he will embrace us just as we are and never call us to change. Y'all, that's just not true. Because God is love and he sets the standards for everything, he expects many things from us. He wants what is best for us. So if you currently think that God will never tell you to stop doing something that you shouldn't be doing because God doesn't like it, he's probably going to say that to you at some point in the future. God is love. Not many disagree with this statement. It's everywhere. We remember words like this from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain. If God is love, he is, by definition, something more than mere kindness. And it appears from all the records that though he has often rebuked us and condemned us, he has never regarded us with contempt. He has paid us the intolerable compliment of loving us. In the deepest, most tragic, most experiential sense. God is love, as the scripture teaches, does not mean that God supports and celebrates everything that we do. The baby born in the manger, I mean, come on, like, we see a baby. I would hope that none of us go, oh, stinking kids, right? Like, this is the most beautiful thing where we see a baby, we're like, this is so good. Jesus was born in a manger as a baby, as an innocent little child. Loving and embrace of God in the flesh. But just because God is love does not mean God is pleased with our sin. Church, God can't tolerate sin. The three words, God is love, is recorded four times in the scripture. God is love. The three words, God is holy, is recorded over 600 times in the scripture. God is love. And God is holy. What does that mean for us? To be holy is to actually be completely separate or set apart from anything that is not holy. Meaning, over 600 times in Scripture, God's holy word, we are told God is separate from everything else because he is pure and perfect and holy and unstained by evil and sin. And yet, what does the scripture say about us? We're all sinners. We're all sinful. We all fall short. So how can the holiness of God and the love of God be shared with the world? Through Christ Jesus, his son, the perfect embodiment of God, fully God in the deity, becoming like a man, not just like a man, becoming a man in the flesh. The holiness of God dwelling in the flesh of a man so that everyone else who would ever believe in him be redeemed and made holy through his son Jesus Christ. The next verse in 1 John says this, 1 John 4 9. In this the love of God 
was made manifest among us, was made known, was created in our midst, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, the love of God was made manifest. In what? In the birth of his son, in the gift of Jesus Christ, so that we might live through him. God's love is found through Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus is both fully God, holy and pure, and fully man without sin. The baby that we celebrate at Christmas time is God incarnate, meaning God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. We cannot experience the love and holiness of God outside of Jesus Christ. He was made manifest among us. I had a cousin, one of my wife's cousins, yesterday at the family party. This was right after, going back to the kid thing. Um, I had one of my kids come up to me. You ever do something you think, that was probably a bad idea. Like, a kid comes up to me, one of mine, and she says to me, hey, Dad, somebody just gave me this marker. And if you taste it, it tastes just like it smells. Without asking any question at all, I said, let's do this. She starts drawing my arm. What do I do? I licked it. It didn't taste like it smelled. Like, I don't know if it was a defect or I just fell into a trap. I'm not sure what happened there, but I was led astray by a 10-year-old. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is rugged. So with that, I was like, okay. So we marked another spot. We also found out that it's kind of permanent markerish. Neither here nor there. So another cousin without a marker came up to me and he was telling about a church service he had last Wednesday night. He said the, ser- the pastor's sermon last Wednesday, which was convicting because his sermon on Wednesday sounds way better than my sermons on Sunday. But he said his sermon on Wednesday was all about what happened with Jesus after Jesus was forgotten by his parents in the temple at 12 years old. That was awkward for three days. And when he started performing his first miracle at the wedding in Cana when he turned water into wine. Then the preacher was looking at what could have happened in the in-between. We don't know. There's nothing in scripture about it. It's just this silence period. A lot of speculation, a lot of ideas. But he was sharing that his pastor was saying, just think about all of the ways in which Jesus was tempted or tested in that 18-year period between when he was a 12-year-old and when he was a 30-year-old man. He started rallying off like possibilities. Jesus very well could have fallen and skinned his knee a few times. He very well attended his father's funeral. He very well knew what it was like to see family members get into arguments. He could have, we don't know, possibly experienced the loss of a sibling. He was, according to scripture, tempted in every possible human way. So it's silent for us to read, but it's not silent in the eyes of God. For the scripture says our great high priest not only knows what it's like to be us, He can advocate for us in every possible sense because he's been tempted in every way. What does that mean? That means if you're going through something right now that nobody else knows about, according to the scripture, Jesus was tempted in every possible way we were tempted. He has buried loved ones. He has dealt with unjust systems in government. He has struggled with the sins of other people, but he never sinned himself, which is why it's so important that Jesus be both fully God and fully man. We teach at Christmas time that Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary was betrothed to be Joseph, but she hadn't known him yet. Why is that important? 
Why is it that some churches don't teach that anymore and think that he could have just been born a good man that God chose to be a prophet? Y'all, because it negates the gospel. Five reasons the virgin birth is very important, all right? One, the doctrine of scripture claims it. If we really are gonna be people of the book that believe what this says, we've gotta believe what it says. And it says that Jesus was actually born of a virgin. Jesus said himself, like he was born of that too. The deity of Christ is proven through it. What does that mean? It means that Jesus' mom was Mary, but his dad was his heavenly father through the Holy Spirit. He was not just like a God. He wasn't a God. He was God in the flesh. He was also fully man. He was fully human. He wasn't just like us. We're like, oh, I don't want to get a sense of what it's like to be human. He was human in every sense of the word. And yet he was sinless, never fell one time, which points us to the nature of grace, meaning that there is nothing we can do to earn salvation. It is a gift of God through Jesus Christ, his son. God was made manifest among us and his love is found through Jesus Christ, his son. It goes on to say in 1 John four ten, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Church, we must remember, is in our relationship with the Lord as people of faith in Christ, God's love cannot be earned. It is freely given. God's love cannot be earned. It is freely given. Some of us may be tired right now because we're trying to do enough good things to get God to like us more or to love us more or to trust us more or to want to be around us more. It's not based on anything to do with us. It has everything to do with him. He is love. He sets the standard. He gets sent the baby. He dwelt within the baby as God in the flesh. He allowed the baby to grow up to be Jesus without any sin. It's a free gift that God gives to everyone. What did Jeff and Sandra read? Oh, that was his first service. What did the Lancasters read this service? John three sixteen. I hope a lot of us know that verse. For God so loved who? The world. That's a big place. There's a lot of people living here. Who does God love? The world. This is one of the things that we might get into with some family members or other people who are struggling with the faith. Who does God love? The world. Who is his child? Everyone in the world? No. Those who have received and accepted and trust in his love. It's a free gift that is offered to all, but only some choose to believe. You cannot earn God's love. I've wondered if I were able to earn God's love, could it be that I would also be able to lose God's love? And I can't. There have been some days in my life, and I would venture to say maybe a few days in your life, at the end of the day, if we could hit repeat or redo or please, Lord, let me have a do-over, we would do it. God doesn't love us any less on those days. There are some days when my kids do things and the first words out of my mouth really are, I've been telling you not to do that for months. And yet here we are. What do I do in that moment? Kick them out of the house, tell them to get a job? Not yet, but when they turn 18, you know what I'm saying? Not yet, they're 12, they're too little. What do we do? Why would you do that to yourself? We've been trying to instruct you and guide you and point you in this direction. And here you are, you've fallen down. Does my love for them ever stop? Absolutely not. I will always be their father. 
I will always be the one who can continue to say, my home is still open. We're going to have to work through a few more things now because you made a mess of something. And yet, what does God call us? His children. On our best of days, God loves you. On our worst of days, God loves you. Why? It's not based on feelings. It's based on who he is. You cannot earn the love of God. Now, that does not mean we shouldn't do our best to become more like Christ every day. That's the call to be sanctified and become more like him. We must rest in God's love for us is not affected or changed by anything we do or say. Solely based on who he is and what he's done and our trust in that. And he closes with this, the last part of 1 John 4.10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I really think we could just come up with a bumper sticker that said propitiation and it would, people would be like, what? What does it even mean? This would be a good conversation. For the propitiation of our sins. God's love, church, saves us from our sins. Propitiation means that we have been saved from the wrath of God. God is love. God has wrath. He can love us and correct us at the same time. Hear this. This is very, very important. He can love the world and judge the world at the same time. God's love saves us from our sin. Romans 5, 8. God shows us his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First service, we had three baptisms of three adults. One is Barry from Scoops. They got married yesterday. Barry was raised in the Jewish faith. Many of his family members are still in the Jewish faith. We've had some neat conversations. Talked to a man that was raised celebrating the Passover meal, come to faith in the Christ that was the perfect blood of the lamb. That's some good stuff. Two of his family members that were baptized, one of them watches us online and just want to trust in the Lord. And that's what we walk through, right? What, is the water, what does the water mean? It's this beautiful picture of what God has done. We are saying, when we baptize folks, we are buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in new life. Meaning that, the closest thing you and I will ever experience if we've confessed Christ as Lord and believe in him to death is kind of pictured in this water. Like we go under for just a second, we come right back up. When Jesus was dying on the cross for the sins of the world, he didn't just learn about the sins of the world. The scripture said, says that he became the sins of the world. The little baby that is absolutely The little baby Jesus in the Christmas story grew up to be a perfect man. Fully God. Fully man at the same time. Never sinned one time. He was tempted in every way that we've ever been tempted. And we believe the book here. Which means when he was on the cross, right when, I believe, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me for the first time in that God-man life? Jesus was separated because the sin had entered into himself. Your sin 
my sin. The worst things we have ever done, the worst things we have ever looked at, the worst things we have ever said entered into his being. He took them upon, you remember like that day, don't name it out loud or tweet it later. Like you remember that day? Just the worst day of your life. You're like, I cannot believe I'm such a disaster. How you felt at the end of that? According to the text, when Jesus was on the cross dying for your sins, he took that upon himself. Was crucified on the cross with Jesus. Scripture says three days later, after his body was taken down from the cross and placed in the grave, Jesus walked out of the grave victorious over death itself. Meaning he took your sin and my sin and justified the wrath of God who hates sin upon himself to the grave and left it there so that for the rest of eternity we could celebrate that God really does love us in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done. And there really, church, is nothing in all of creation that will ever be able to separate us from his love because of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we are thankful for who you are and for what you have done. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be called your children. Lord, today, you know our hearts. You know the busyness of this season and what we are going through. Lord, you know the sins that we've committed, the prayers that we've prayed. Lord, you know that some of us have been trying a long time to get it right. We're just trying to do enough good things. Lord, I pray for anybody in that moment, Lord, that you would remind them that your love isn't based on anything we do. Lord, for anyone hearing these words right now that is stuck in a sin that they keep committing over and over again, and it feels hopeless and they're tired, Lord, I pray that through the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, you would remind them that that sin has already been paid for. And while Jesus took that sin upon himself, God, we truly believe that he would open his conversation with every one of us with how much he loves us. Thank you, Lord, for not basing your love off of feelings or emotions. Thank you for allowing us to experience your love and to be called to share it with those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name.